Good morning. If, uh, if you're new around here, my name's Stephen. I'm the pastor. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today. Uh, so you joined us on a good day. It's called Reformation. Now, I know when we hear this word Reformation, we hopefully go back 500 years or so. I guess it's 505 years now or six uh, at this point when uh, the Protestant Reformation was, was ushered in uh, through Martin Luther nailing the thesis. And there was this idea that the, the church of the day, and it did, it needed to be reformed. It needed to go back to some uh, key principles that had been lost along the way. And so this launched the, uh, the, the Reformation, of course, and then uh, Protestantism kind of birthing out of this and uh, Reformed theology, which kind of came the baseline for Protestant Christianity over the last 500 years or so. Now, at some point in time in there, there was this group of uh, people who came out of the Reformation known as the Puritans. And the Puritans, uh, we all know, we learned about this in history class, or at least, well, we used to learn about this stuff in history class. Uh, got trans- or they came over here and they uh, established uh, a civilization and as they were on their way over, there was a sermon that was preached. Actually, it was when they got here. A famous sermon called A City on a Hill. A City on a Hill. And if you read that sermon, it was preached in the 1600s, right? It's kind of hard uh, to follow some of it, but uh, a beautiful sermon. And then he gets to that kind of rise and climax at the end, talking about the city on a hill, how this new nation, right, was going to be this city on a hill, this picture of the kingdom of God. And uh, for the last four or 500 years, that has been in large part uh, what even our nation uh, was about, uh, submitting ourselves to the rule of God, to the, uh, the law of the Lord. And uh, of course, over the last 30 or 40 years, we've seen that begin to decay a little bit. More in the last three to four to five years, uh, we've seen this attacked even more. Uh, and I know many of us, we look around and we go, what happened to, to even parts of the culture we once knew? I, I don't know about some of you, but like I find myself watching a lot of like mid-2000s television. Because when I watch shows now, you get to episode four and go, well, that one's out. Like if there's a show I want to watch, right, that, that I like have to go back to this like time where there seemed to just be this break with anything sane, right? And, uh, and and we've seen this, and we've seen it infect our culture, we've seen it infect our schools, we've seen it infect so many different things, and the, the city on a hill uh, seems like it's been pushed out by Capitol Hill, and the, the city no longer exists. And many of us, followers of Christ, I think, have gathered because we, we want to see a reformation. We want to see the gospel come back alive, not just in us or in our church, but in our culture, in our society as a whole. And so today, we start out on no small quest to to use the word reformation to talk about how do we bring the gospel uh, to the world that we are around. And uh, and I'll say the world we are around, right? Like our our township, our city, our area, right? Maybe our state. We'll focus on this first before we uh, start worrying about the rest of the world right now, but to bring the gospel back. And the, na- the name of this series and the point of this series uh, is first to stir something in us, but then to walk through what we're calling 10 steps to create a counterculture. 10 steps to, 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 to see the gospel winning again in our area, which we know it can, and we know by the promises of God that it will. 
And so uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to walk down this path over the next, um, I guess it's like 11 weeks. This will kind of take us up to Easter. We'll have Eric Metaxas joining us uh, at some point in time during that. That's February 26th, not some point in time, uh, February 26th. We'll all be teaching, and uh, his theme and his uh, book, Letter to the American Church, is right along with what, we've been, uh, what we'll be talking about here. And we're going to root all of this in the Word of God. Because all reformation, all true reformation that we would want to desire will come from God's word. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 uh, tells us a little bit how the city on the hill uh, gets established, how this kingdom of God grows and stays. Jesus says these words, you are the salt of the earth. Everyone get their salt packet on the way in? Okay. It's not for French fries. You all asked me. All right. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then Jesus, he, this morning, by the way, if I mix all of my metaphors, it's okay because Jesus did it here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The salt of the earth becomes the light of the world, which establishes a city that cannot be hidden. But if the city seems very hidden and the light seems to be diminishing, then we have to go back to thinking maybe the salt lost its saltiness. And so what we're going to talk about today is what does it look like to be salty, salty Christians. Every once in a while I get done with the sermon, somebody's like, well, that was kind of salty. And I don't know if they mean it as a dig or what. We're going to get very salty today, all right? In other words, maybe more than just Anne will be clapping, all right? I love you, Anne. We're going to get salty because it is only the salty church and the salty Christian that leads to the light breaking out and the city on the hill being established. So what does it look like to be salty? Well, before we dive into that, let's go back into yesteryear. And by yesteryear, I mean Stephen in my early 20s, okay? I didn't get married till 30. And so uh, 90% of my diet in my 20s was chips and salsa, okay? Anyone else? All right, great. All the other single guys. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, and, and I, I mean, honestly, 90%. Like, all I had in my fridge was salsa, right, and then chips next to it. And one day, I sat down for, it was probably breakfast, right, to have my chips and salsa. And uh, I said, telling you, it was all I ate. And so, I sit down to eat, and, and I take a bite, and I'm expecting, obviously, like, the goodness of the Lord to, like, you know, come through this chip and this salsa. And as I take the bite, something just felt off. And it wasn't like a weird taste on the salsa. The salsa tasted fine, but I took the bite and I go, this just isn't right. Like, this is going to mess up my whole day. What is wrong with this? And, uh, and so I look at the salsa. It's not expired. It smells fresh, all of that. So I go and I grab the bag of chips, and I look at the bag of chips. And as I look at it, I see there's a word on the bag of chips uh, that does not make any sense to me. And the word says, unsalted. And I thought to myself, where from the pit of hell did these, <laughs> did these chips come from? Why would you sell unsalted chips? Amen? Thank you. Now, I mean, raise your hand if this is you. When you're at the Mexican restaurant, you don't just eat the chip and the salsa. You pour salt on the chip, and then you eat the salsa, right? Thank you. That's how you do it. Unsolved, something's just not right. 
friend, a Christian, or a church that doesn't have its soul. There's just something that's not right. There's just something not right. So what does it mean to have our salt? Because Jesus says this. He says, the, the, the salt that has lost its saltiness, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. <laughs> this is exactly, someone go into Churchill's today and do this, okay? For God's grace, all right? That's how good these chips are. And Jesus says, a Christian or church that's lost its salt, that's what it's good for. So what does it mean to be salty? I'm going to give you four things this morning on what it means to be salty. Uh, I'll give you a, a it, it's not really an acronym because I don't really spell anything. It, I mean, B H L. A, B, H, L, A. Four things that it means to be salty this morning. We're gonna start in Acts chapter four, uh, verses 29. We'll be all over the book of Acts because uh, the, the, the book uh, or the church in Acts, they were salty. There's a salty group of people. And in Acts chapter four, verse 29 through 31, I'm just gonna warn you, I'm gonna preach a little bit this morning, okay? Um, because because they're, they're uh, in here, we see the church in all of its saltiness and all of the results of its saltiness. And we will never get the results of the early church void of the saltiness of the early church. So let's see. Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And so this is a moment in time where the, uh, the world is rising up against the church uh, and they're trying to push the church down uh, and they're using threats in order to do so. And uh, let me tell you this. Uh, one of the ways you know you've lost your salt if there's never any threat. The, the world doesn't threaten uh, saltless churches or saltless Christians. But in the midst of the threats, in the midst of the world turning itself against them uh, and trying to stop them, they, they said, and grant to your servants, this is in a prayer, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Boldness. The, the first thing it means to be salty is it means to be bold, to boldly proclaim the word of God. I don't know, uh, some of you might be able to remember this, but, but when I was growing up, uh, I sang uh, a song in kids' church, and it was this, be bold. Anyone else? No? Because you would have said, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Yesterday, um, well, never mind. Okay, <laughs> sometimes I'm going to tell a story, then I don't tell the story. It's a good thing. I was singing, and Reagan told me to stop, okay? <laughs> that was it. Daddy, that hurts. Okay. <laughs> Be bold. And what uh, the, the, the story is telling us this is that a, a Christian who knows the truth of the word of God, a church that knows the truth of the word of God, but has no boldness to proclaim it is as useless as the chips on the ground. I don't care what your education level is. I don't care how many scripture passages that you have memorized. I don't care how much you say in church that you believe the word of God. If there is no boldness to proclaim the word of God in the time that it is needed to be proclaimed, it is as worthless as the chips in front of me. Boldness. 
of proclaiming the full truth of God's word. And I would say this, the full truth of God's word. Because right now, I think there's certain people or certain churches or certain Christians, even maybe amongst ourselves, right, where we want to salt half the chip. We want to salt half the chip. Uh, we will say, yeah, no, no, there's elements of God's word that are great, they're good, I, okay, but then there's those other parts, and it's time to put those aside. Uh, those are outdated. Uh, those are irrelevant. Uh, those are for the past, right? And so uh, a little bit of salt, but not all of the salt. No, it takes all of the salt. It's all of God's word in all of its fullness, Amen. and to be bold about it. He says, while the prayer continues, while you stretch out your hands to heal and sign and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There are two types of churches and two types of Christians right now. One type will be shaken in fear by the world. The other type will be shaken by the Holy Spirit and go shake the world. Which one are you going to be? And the, 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 the ones that go and shake the world and aren't shaken by the world are the ones who will boldly proclaim the full truth of God's word. And so this morning, if you have lost your salt a little bit, if you've lost your boldness, find it again. Find it again. Boldly proclaiming the gospel, boldly proclaiming the full truth of God's word. Number two. Holiness, holiness. I talked about this one last week. Remember what I told you last week. The law of the Lord is beautiful and you should love it. It's the secret, right? The law of the Lord is beautiful and you should love it. That's why we read all of Psalm 119. If you weren't here last week, we read through the whole chapter of Psalm 119 together. We talked about our verse of the year, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all, all, all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. The full Christian life is lived in full obedience to the word of God, right? So holiness, look at Acts 19. Acts 19 says this. It says, and a number of those... Uh, I'm going to start in verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came. And so these people, they were already believers. They, they had accepted and embraced Christ, right? And so they're now in their faith. They're like you and I. Also, many of those who were now believers came, came to do what? Confessing and divulging their practices. Confessing sin and uh, getting rid of all that wasn't in alignment with godliness. They got rid of it. And holiness uh, for Christians went out of fashion uh, at some point in time. I don't know if it's 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And statistically, we can look in and we can see that for the most part, those who profess faith in Christ handle money, sexuality, um, uh, at least those two things, the same as the world does. But we could throw in those, the other long list of gossip and slander and envy and greed and uh, jealousy and all of these other things. And, and the point is this, followers of Christ, when Jesus breaks in, it makes us different. It has to. 
It has to make us hate sin, hate anything of the world, hate anything that would be an offense against the full law of God written out in his book. And when the new heart is granted to us and the power of the Holy Spirit infuses new life into us, it should make us hate sin. And when sin breaks in, it leads us to exactly what they were doing, which was confession of sin, repentance before a holy God, holiness. When I was in youth group growing up, we sang the song, holiness, holiness is what you want from me, right? Holiness. And friends, the salt of the earth is a people set apart because of holiness, set apart because we handle things differently because the spirit of God has broken inside of us, now rests inside of us. One of my favorite pastors, um, uh, preaches or teaches that um, one of the signs of maturity is the sign between um, when, when we commit a sin versus when we, the time it takes us to run back to the Father. To run back to the Father. That's what I was praying earlier. That is, uh, that as our hearts get pricked by the Spirit of God, that we would respond now, now, now. Maybe you've heard the snow metaphor that I've used before. It's a lot easier to uh, shovel when the snow has just, uh, has just fallen a little bit. But if you allow the snow to pile up, pile up, pile up, pile up, it gets really hard and backbreaking. It's still possible, but it's best. Get rid of it early. Get rid of it early. Get rid of it early. Friend, and every Sunday at church, but every morning as you spend time with the Lord, confess and divulge, Lord, This is in me. Reveal to me. Paul says, examine yourself. What's in me, Lord? What needs to be taken away? What needs to go away? What needs to not come back? Last week, I mentioned the verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that says to bring holiness to completion, that for some of us, this needs to be the year of holiness completing. You ever like log into a website and you can see like 70% of the website, there's kind of a picture, there's kind of a caption, but it's still buffering. Some of us, we have been buffering for decades or years. And it's time for the picture to be brought to full completion. And the picture will be brought to full completion when you allow confession and repentance to have its full place in your heart. And then you walk in the holiness of the word of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let it change what you do. Let it change how you act. Let it change how you handle every part of life. Friends, we can't rant and rave about revival and reformation out there until we allow holiness to break inside of here. Okay? And so take sin seriously. Confess it. Our conscience can get seared. Do you know that? If we allow a certain sin pattern to break in, we begin to convince ourselves it's okay. That might be you this morning. Let today be a wake-up call. Just because you're no longer getting convicted doesn't mean it's not sinful. It just means you've shut down your heart to the Spirit. Wake up. Get your salt back today. Pursue holiness. That's what he wants. First thing. Salty Christian, the bold, oh, actually, let me finish the passage. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. 
What happens when Christians confess? What happens when Christians pursue holiness? The word of God moves out because something is starting to, to bubble up inside of you then, right? Because you're getting your salt back. And, uh, and as that happens, then the word of God will go out. But, let, but what's, uh, let's go back to our metaphor here. What is the, the word teaching us here? That Christians, right, who profess faith in Christ, but don't walk in holiness. How helpful is that? That's how helpful. He says, it's no good for anything. Trample on the ground. Trample on it. Pursue holiness, my friend. Number three. Number three. Third thing it means to be salty. We're bold, we're holy, and we're loving. I'm going to go to 1 John. First John, starting in verse 3. Let me preface this one before. There's a way to be bold and there's a way to be holy and you can be those two things and not loving. And that is as useless as these chips. The, the, the gospel calls us to boldness, yes, to holiness, yes, but also to love and to operate and to be rooted and grounded in love and our boldness and our holiness are not an excuse for a lack of love. They all work together in Christ who was all of these things. First John chapter three. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see the connection there? It's saying if there's no love coming out, then there's no love coming in. He's saying, how is it possible that God's love has poured into you if it doesn't pour its way in to others? Let me give you an example here. How is it possible that all of this salt is being poured on this chip and it not fall on the chips below it? How is it possible that God's love is broken into your heart, but it's not pouring out to one another? How is it possible, right? It's not, he's saying. So what is he saying? If you've lost your love, you've lost your salt, and our love first is extended to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and one of the ways you can examine your heart before God is do you have love for each other? Do we have love for each other? And I will say this, this is a loving church. You guys are awesome. And uh, in this one, I would say, uh, man, God has been good to us, right? And so let's, let's continue on in that. I would urge us on to that, right? That we would keep loving one another well, brothers and sisters in Christ. But the, the love for the Christian doesn't just stop at his brother and sister in Christ. It extends out to loving your enemy. It extends out to loving your neighbor as yourself. That part of our salt is our ridiculous ability to love when the world is incapable of it. And so let's love. And notice how he connects love here to two things, to action and to truth. He doesn't disconnect either one of those things from proper love. Love is not just embracing anything, right? Uh, and love is not just doing actions that are apart from the gospel. Love is both of those things coming together. It's rooted in action and it's rooted in truth. But Christians, we got to love. We got to love. 
And right now, I know uh, that uh, because it seems like truth is getting so attacked that we, uh, most churches that are trying to, to see the gospel win, we're erring on the side of truth, right? Uh, and that's not a bad thing because there's a, there's a, there's a need there to, to hold firm to it. But in our quest for truth, we can't forget our call to love. Okay. So are you loving people? Is, there, is the love of God just poured into you so much that it's just overflowing to the people that are around you? Bold, yes. Holy, yes. But loving. May the love of Christ pour out of us. Number four. Number four. We'll go back to Acts. Acts chapter 17, verses five through seven. These are some of my favorite passages in the scriptures. Acts 17, five through seven. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. I love this. They're going to accuse these guys later of flipping the world upside down, and in their quest to stop them from flipping the world upside down, they riot in their own town. Okay? Kind of ironic. He says... They're jealous, right? And they're, they're seeing movement happen, right? And so what do they do? They're going to take it after Jason. Actually, let me t- take a step aside here for a second. Um, the, the, the fourth word is active, okay? Engaged, active, whatever word you want to use. I'm going to use the word active. Uh, that these Christians, these bold, holy, loving Christians aren't passive. They're active. They're out there, and they're making things happen. And as they're making things happen, what happens is the mob turns against them. And the mob, right, and in the scriptures, the mob is always just a, a front. It's a front for the work of darkness underneath. The work of darkness turns against them. Uh, one of the ways you can identify a saltless church or a saltless Christian is that no one is standing in opposition. No one's going after them and trying to get them to stop, right? Because the enemy is certainly fine with you if you want to profess boldness, holiness, and, uh, and love if you're not doing anything with it. And so what's happening here is the church is on the move, and because they are, the enemy comes up with a plan, and so they take it out on Jason, right? Poor Jason. If you didn't know that's a biblical name, it is. And so Jason's in his house, right? He's just housing these people, and they attack the house of Jason. They seek to bring them out to the crowd, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. What happened? They were looking for the guys who were really uh, to blame, but they couldn't find them, so they just took a, a, a patsy brought Jason out there and went after Jason. Let me use this, by the way, as a bit of a prediction. I hope that is wrong of what we might see over the next year. As the church continues to grow in boldness, proclaiming the word of God, we will see increased attacks by the world and by the powers of this world to silence and stop those who would stand in opposition to the woke agenda. You will see this. And you will hear names, and you will hear people who are headed down the right path, who are standing for the word of God, right, whose ministries are growing, who are making a difference. And you're going to start to see accusation. You're going to start to see accusation of doctrine, of theology. You're going to see accusation against the IRS audits. You're going to see all of this stuff start to surface. Now, where there is sin or where there is something going on that's actually wrong, certainly we obey the law. But many of this is going to be, much of this is going to be geared, not in actual pursuit uh, of like the law, but in attempting to stop all of those who would be contrary to the message of the world right now. So watch it. it. Watch and see as it happens. When they could not find him, they dragged Jason um, 
and some of the brothers before the city authority shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus, which is the message. And by the way, this message uh, that there was another King Jesus, it is a doctrinal statement, it is a theological statement, but in that day and age, it was actually primarily a political statement because it said Caesar is king on their money. And they wanted them to stop saying Caesar is king because they were violating the law of the land. And what they said is, no, Jesus is king. We will give to Caesar what is Caesar, but we will give to God what is God's. And we will not say that Caesar is king. We will say that Jesus is king, which is showing a foundation for us today that the church does not bow to the state. The state falls under the authority of God. Okay? And so where we have opportunity... To stand in defiance to a state that is superseding its power, we will, and we have to. Otherwise, we've lost our state. Let me give you an example. They try to shut us down again. I don't care. We will be here. We will be meeting. Get your butt to church, okay? Somebody asked me the other day, they're like, do you think there will be more shutdowns? I said, I have no idea, but I hope so. I hope so, right? Because if there are, there are about 100 woke churches in our city that need to close permanently, Okay? And I don't feel bad about saying that because, and listen, when I say woke, I don't mean somebody that I might slightly disagree with. I mean that they are preaching heresy and they have gotten rid of the word of God and the candle needs to be turned off, okay? That's God's job, not our job. But if he wants to use a shutdown, then he can. Come on. Just getting warmed up. Whew, okay. Let me, let me take this active one real quick, though. To some of us, some of you, you've lost your salt, salt because you have grown inactive. And it's time to activate yourself again. And listen, around here as a church, we always like, we, we take things slow. We just let people like ease their way into this place. I've described it like this before. Like, it's not like I was wearing another church's jersey and then I came over here, switched jerseys real quick and get right back in the game. Sometimes you need a little break. That's a good thing. And it's a restful thing. But when that break turns into a new way of life, that's not okay. You're needed for the kingdom of God. We need you to get your salt back because we need your help in salting the earth and being the light of the world. And so some of you, it is time to turn the activate button back on. It's time to turn, I'm gonna mentor people back on. I'm gonna love people back on. I'm gonna serve my, the body of Christ again. I'm gonna start giving again. Uh, I'm gonna start uh, prioritizing the gospel and church again. And I'm going to re-engage. And for some of you, let today be the thing that stroke, stokes the fire again and you activate yourself again, okay? Get your salt back. We need you. All right, let's look at this. That was individual. Let's look at this corporately real quick. Look at this quote. This was written in 1860 by George Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. See if this rings true. The chief danger that confronts the coming century, which was the 1900s, will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Sound familiar? Come on. This is a saltless culture. 
This is a saltless church, though, right? A saltless church that begins to teach these things. And he's saying that the danger is this, that the church will lose its salt. And as the church loses its salt, this is what we'll see. We'll see religion without the Holy Ghost. Friends, you can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You certainly can't be sanctified without the Holy Spirit. And the expression of the Christian life is the fruits of the Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. We all do. Alive inside of us. Prompting us. Teaching us what wisdom is. Teaching us how to walk in godliness. Equipping us with gifts to, to bring into the church so that we can all partner together for the sake of ministry. We can't lose the Holy Spirit. Is that also a Christianity without Christ? And some of us, uh, maybe because you've been in our setting here uh, or you've been in healthy settings, you haven't experienced this. But trust me, this is all over the place. A Christianity without Christ. And you can't have a Christianity without Jesus. And you can't have a Christianity without the actual real Jesus that is presented in these scriptures. A Christianity without Christ is this useless. And they are all over the place right now. There's Christianity that wants to preach that he sinned. There's a Christianity that wants to preach that his bloodshed wasn't uh, required for the payment of our sins. There's a Christianity that wants to preach that he wasn't fully God and fully man. There's a Christianity that wants to preach that he didn't actually raise from the dead. The only Christianity that has any power and the only Christianity that you can adhere to is one that follows who Christ is, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died the perfect death, that he was the full, perfect embodiment of the law because you and I never could be, that his blood shed on the cross was the only payment for sin, that he died on the cross, that he descended into Hades, that he triumphantly rose from the grave and he gives us new life. That's it. Anything short of that doesn't matter. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. And any church and any Christian that throws that Jesus out, come join me on the stage up here. Let's go. It's a Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. What is that? In an era when cheap grace is taught, Holiness will be the first thing that goes out the window. Listen, grace is amazing. Oh, I don't want to underplay grace at all. The washing of sin and regeneration of the Holy Spirit is incredible. And I've hit this a couple times already today. But repentance is our hearts broken before the Lord for our sin. That's where forgiveness comes from. Salvation without regeneration. Salvation without regeneration, what does that look like? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, you are? Awesome. Awesome. And people saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But nothing changes. If you ever wonder, how is it that we can live in a country where more people profess faith in Christ, but we still end up in the same place that we are? It's because we have a religion or a salvation without regeneration. Salvation Salvation is not something that you're born into. Salvation is not something that you just uh, acquire at some point in time after a list of things that have happened. Salvation is an experience with the almighty God who loves you and whose son paid the, death, uh, the penalty for your sin, and then you were granted a new heart. You, are new. you were born again. You were made new. 
And for some of us, it's possible that we have fallen into this lie of salvation without regeneration. And here's the thing. Here's what's so sad. There's a, there's a veil over your eyes because you think, no, I'm already a Christian. I am a Christian, but nothing's changed inside of you. How do you know you're a Christian? Why? Because something has. You've been born again. Something's beginning to change now. Your heart is beating a new way because you have been granted a new heart. And how do you do that? By placing your faith in Christ. Not just by living in America, not just by having attended church, by having placed your faith in Christ through the gospel. Okay? He goes on. Politics without God. I don't even need to teach that one, do I? Sounds like I wish you would. Politics without God is exactly why we have the culture that we have right now. It is. It is. And yes, yes, all politics and all government should be submitted to God and the full authority of his word. Right? Heaven without hell, that one's all over the place right now. Right? That's a race hell. All of this, Paul predicted and warned about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 when he said these words, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In other words, people are going to elevate themselves over Christ. That's what's going to happen. And how you know that the, uh, that the culture or the person is beginning the, the path to saltlessness is because they've elevated themselves over Jesus. They pursue what they want to pursue, not what the Bible tells them to pursue. They make their own rules instead of what the, the Bible says are the rules, and they run after it. And as we do, we lose our salt, the church loses its salt, and the society loses its salt as well. The second indicator, he says, is this. It's when there's an appearance of godliness, but denying its power avoids such people. What is that? Those are false gospels. False gospels that people say, this has power. This gospel has power. That gospel has power. And they're, they're all over the place, right? We got a, we've got a self-help gospel, right? Uh, we've talked about the poverty gospel. We've talked about the prosperity gospel. We've talked about all of these false gospels, right? Some of them that at one point in time, right, were rooted in something good, but then they turned into something wrong, and they became a false gospel, right? And uh, these false gospels, they, they have the appearance of, uh, of being good because they sound good. They sound right. But they've lost the true heart of the gospel, and only the gospel can change a life. Only the gospel has any power. So there's not any actual power there. So that's the second way. The third way that you'll know, right, that, that you're uh, uh, um, approaching a solid culture is this. It says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. That's a weird line that we, we're not going to look at right now. Okay. <laughs> Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Friends, what do you call never being able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth? The, the truth not being over. Progressivism. That's what you call it. We're making progress toward it. We're making progress toward truth. We're getting closer to truth. We're almost there. No, the more you progress, the further you get away from the standard that was written back then that doesn't move. Amen. Okay? That's not progress, 
right? That's progression toward what? Saltlessness. That's progression toward hell. That's all that is. Progress, right? True progress is going deeper into the truth and understanding the truth that has already been written. There is not, I call them pendulum swingers. You ever met these people? They're like, I kind of believe this. Now I kind of believe this. Now I kind of believe this. Listen, let the pendulum stop and arrive at the truth that is fully truth, God's word. That's all that matters. Stop. Stop running back and forth and chasing all of these different truths and uh, allowing the newest and the latest idea to take you astray. No, somebody asked me the other day about something. I said, yeah, you know, that's an interesting thought, and I'm sure they have great points, but also flies in the face of Christian orthodoxy for 2,000 years. And so I don't even want to listen to the video or watch it because if it violates what Christians have understood to be truth for 2,000 years, I'm not going to let the last 20 minutes wipe out 2,000 years. That's dumb. Focus in on what has been true, what we have called true. I was uh, talking to somebody the other day, and they were referencing somebody, a conversation that they had, and the person was saying, you know what I try to do on Sunday mornings? Um, this person's like, I, I feel the tension of trying to live between both sides, telling the truth on both sides. Now, I'm assuming what this person was saying is, uh, I'm trying to tell the Republican truth and the Democrat truth, the liberal truths and the conservative truths. I flipped my hands there for a second, right? The, the, these truths and the that truths, and it's hard living in the tension of both. And I thought to myself, what a sad place that that pastor is in. Because when I get up on Sunday morning, I don't care what is a Republican truth, the Democratic truth, a liberal truth, a progressive truth, a libertarian truth, if they even believe in truth, and all of these other things. What I, that was a libertarian joke, what I do believe in is the one truth that is actually truth, the word of God. And I don't care how it comes out because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there's only one truth there is no truth on both sides if you have two sides one of the sides is wrong I don't even know where I'm at salting that was salty let me tell you about a saltless church that will lead to a saltless society. A saltless church will be applauded by progressives for their tolerance, love, and modern understanding. A saltless church will cuddle up next to the powers of this world, will invite them into their pulpits, will snap pictures with them on Instagram, will get invited to their meetings as helpful partners in making the world a better place. A saltless church will be loved by the world for its social justice efforts. It will be lauded for its tolerant views on sexuality. It will be embraced for helping push the global agenda of universalism. It will be heralded as the religion of the future for diminishing truth, embracing modernism, and helping usher in top-down control. A saltless church will say things like, the Bible is outdated, it's time we reevaluate certain understandings, and God is really all about love. A saltless church can be called good, helpful, and nice to have in the community, but it will never be called powerful, life-changing, or world-altering. So instead, what we need is a church that has its salt, and a salty church will be chastised for its values. It will be called old-fashioned, outdated, bigoted, and unloving. A salty church will be put on lists, FBI raids, IRS audits, YouTube demonetization, and Facebook jail. A salty church will stand unwavering, though, in the wake of the woke mob, daddy government, shifting standards, and the push to universalism. The salty church and those who are part of it will be persecuted and prosecuted, and every time the salty church is taken to task by the saltiness of the world, it will shine as the light 
of the world. And instead of giving up, it will press in. Instead of abandoning the truth, it will speak it even louder. And every time it does, it will do it rooted in love and truth with winsomeness and grace. The salty church will confuse the world by how it is both unwaveringly committed to truth and relentlessly self-sacrificing for others. The salty church will both pick up its sword to fight the darkness of the enemy and will lay down its sword to embrace lost humanity. And the salty church will love truth and will also love those lost in the lie. So we got to get our salt back, friends. Amen. We can't worry about everyone else out there, so we got to start right here. Because Reformation begins in here, and then it begins here. So we got to get our salt back. So how do we do it? Leviticus 2.13, we're going to start there. It's a great verse. I love when the Bible, almost like there's one author. Some of you are new. That was a joke. I think more people leave because they misunderstand my jokes than anything else. Leviticus 2.13. Look at this. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Come on. Salt. What's going on here? What's a grain offering? A grain offering is, uh, it wasn't the offerings that, that, that was like payment for sin. A grain offering was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. And we now know in the New Testament that we are the act of worship. Paul says you are a living sacrifice. Your body and your life is now an act of worship, which means this, that everything we do in our lives needs to be seasoned with salt. Everything we do in our lives needs to be seasoned with boldness, needs to be seasoned with holiness, needs to be seasoned with love, and needs to be seasoned with action. We're going to make something happen. Everything that we do. But if I've lost my salt, Jesus asked, if you've lost your salt, how can salt, how can it be restored? Well, he said there's a salt of the covenant. Oh, and this is where it gets good, friends. There's a salt of the covenant. What does it mean? It means that the path to us maintaining our salt is not us manufacturing our own salt. It's us receiving the salt of the covenant. What's the salt of the covenant? The gospel. The gospel. The salt of the covenant is when the gospel begins to break in us so much that it just pours out. And what does salt do? Salt cleanses. Salt preserves and salt enhances. And when the gospel breaks in, it does all of those things. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to leave you with the gospel. Because it's the path to the saltiness being restored. It's the only path. We're going to start in 1 John because we need to see salt, uh, what salt does. If salt cleanses, then how does this work? How does the cleansing effect of salt, how does the cleansing effect of the gospel begin to have its way in us? Where are you at, 1 John? Here we are. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We see this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to, here it is. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Friend, I don't care which of the uh, four ways you've lost your salt because they're all unrighteous. If we've lost our boldness, our holiness, uh, our love, or our action, uh, our going out and making this stuff happen, any of that that we have lost, it is time to return and to get our salt back. And we do that first by confession of sin. And when we confess sin, and we confess sin, right, and it cleanses us, but we understand that that is only made possible because Christ went to the cross, and all that we need to be cleansed from, Christ took on himself on the cross. And when Christ then took that on the cross, now our confession has power, and it has a power to cleanse. And so if you want to see reformation in a world or in a church, it starts with the reformation in yourself of laying yourself back before the Lord and allowing him to come in and to cleanse whatever needs to be cleansed inside of you. Friend, it's time you get your salt back. It's time that you let the gospel of God's incredible love for you break back into your heart again. Because what happens then when we uh, practice these acts of confession, right, and we allow the gospel to be breaking back in, it's like salt begins to pour back in on the saltless. And, uh, and every time it does, it's like it's starting to permeate a little bit. It's starting to hit a little bit. And this is why I would say we don't just confess on Sunday morning when we're at church. You wake up every day and you lay your heart before the Lord and you ask him, God, what in me does not beautifully reflect you? And please strip it from me. Take it from me. Don't give it an ounce of, uh, of oxygen, a bit of it to be breathed into. Crucify it. Suffocate it. I lay it out in front of you, Change me. And every time you do, every time you do, a little bit, it's coming back. It's coming back. Some of you, it's been so long. It's been so long. And so with, with sincerity, you laid your heart before the king. said, I know this is wrong. I know this has been in me. I know I've lost my salt, and I know it is rebellion. Please, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me. And then let him do it. The second thing that salt does is it preserves. And in Jude chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, that we are kept in Christ Jesus. Colossians says it this way, we are clothed in Christ Jesus. We are held in him. And as you read through Colossians 3, you see this beautiful process of confession that once we confess sin, what happens then is we are clothed in the love of Christ and all of these positive attributes, all of these good attributes begin to flow through us when we get rid of all that needs to be cleansed. And I don't know what unkept you. Maybe you got angry. Maybe you got apathetic. Maybe something bad happened in your life. Some of them might be tragic, and, and I, I feel for you. But your heart, it's like it became uncapped. But I want you to know something. If you were in Christ, even if you didn't realize it, he was keeping you. And he's calling you back right now. He's saying, be clothed in me again. Let the fire of the gospel burn in you again. The third thing. That's all it does is it enhances, makes things better. In Psalm 119, 93, I could have picked a hundred different verses for this. 
But this one says this, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. The salt enhances and the word of God enhances. And every time you run to the word of God and every time you, you, you study and you look into the beauty of God's word and you submit yourself to it, it's like salt's being poured out and salt's being poured out. And all of a sudden life is coming back. The saltiness is coming back and you're running to it every single day. And some of you are pretty smart because you're seeing what's happening. That as salt is, keeps getting poured out on you, it keeps pouring out on all that has been trampled on underneath. Okay, And the way that reformation happens is when the, the, the individual follower of Christ, or if this could be a picture of the church for a moment, gets so salty that the salt just starts overflowing. And friends, it starts with you letting the gospel break back in here. So would you let it? I want to pray for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now who's lost their salt. The boldness is gone. Holiness seems like a foreign word. The love is dried up. Apathy has taken over. Father, we are here before you today because we want our saltiness restored. We're crying out for it. Take a moment before your king. Confess what might need to be confessed. Father, where we have loved self or this world more than we have loved you, we confess it. Where we have grown scared to stand for your word, we repent. Where we have become okay with sin, I pray you would grieve our hearts into a holy repentance. For any reformation we desire, Lord, start it first in us. And Father, as you do, I pray you would release this church to be salty as anything. Uh, to bring the gospel to the saltless world that needs it so badly like we needed it, and you were so gracious to give it to us. This is our humble prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.